my breakfast about five seconds ago. Um, I mean, where do I begin? We got a mess in Iowa. Even with the mess in Iowa, Bernie Sanders is in a good place. Um, but I do have a slightly unique take, I guess. I don't know how unique it is among the people, but certainly among the media class, it's unique. I'll talk about what I think is going on, Um, but, you know, you guys, everybody has every right to be, like, super skeptical of everything that's happening in Iowa at the moment. Um, Really, really crazy stuff, so I'm going to lead with the Iowa caucus. Yesterday was the day that I've been warning about for a long time. Donald Trump acquitted. We're going to talk about that as well. We have just a a very, very busy show today, and I can't wait to jump into it. So without further ado, let's do exactly that. Where do I even begin with this? The Iowa caucuses, if you can even call it that, (laughs) Uh, they are... Beyond a mess, um, there was likely extreme incompetence that happened during this caucus from the people who run it. But also, I honestly think you're one of the most naive people on earth if you don't also think that there's some foul play happening. 
Um, in fact, I'm going to go as far as to say that even if Bernie Sanders wins, I think there was still foul play. Um, so I want to walk you through everything that happened. And as I talk to you guys right this second, we don't have the official declaration of a winner. But even according to establishment outlets now, Bernie Sanders is the favorite. Um, so here's something I tweeted the other day that sums it up in a very succinct way. And we briefly spoke about this on Kyle and Corin at the time. In that last poll that came out, which correctly predicted all the Iowa caucus winners for like ever, uh, Pete got Pete got that poll that poll pulled. Pete had it uh, spiked because you know there was allegedly a problem where they didn't pronounce his name right or something to that effect. So Pete got that poll pulled. Pete's campaign, come to find out, helped to fund the app that they were using for the Iowa caucuses. Helped to fund the app. Also former Clinton people were involved with the app. I mean, that is so immensely sketchy on its face. The name of the company, there's two companies, there's one and then the parent, it's Shadow and Acronym, which those names alone sound like something out of a, you know, a movie where they play the evil company. They're the evil characters. Then, on caucus night, the app crashes. Also, whatever backup there was crashed. Pete goes out there and declares early victory. Now, at the same time that that's happening, Bernie's internal numbers show him with a, quote, comfy, comfortable victory. In fact, he was up about five points with about 60% reporting, Bernie's team was. That's what their internal numbers showed. And what they did is, they're smart, they decided, we don't know about this whole process because we know what the last election was like. So they went out of their way to set up their own election infrastructure to make sure that we know the real results. And in the internal numbers, again, he was up about five points, quote, up comfortably with 60% reporting. Uh, and then the Iowa Democratic Party doesn't release the numbers talks about how, uh, you know, the app crashed and there was a massive screw-up and we're just making sure that the numbers are right. They said we're doing, quote, quality control. And the Iowa Dems release a slow drip of data. And every time they release the data, it shows Pete up. Every time it's also showed Bernie Sanders leading in the popular vote, but it showed Pete up. So at first they released 62% of the results and it showed... First they said, oh, we're only going to release 50%. Then they come out and they release 62% of the results. Bernie's leading in the popular votes, um, but Pete is leading in the, in the um, state delegates, state delegate equivalents, as they're called. Um, then they go, go out there and release 71%, and it's basically same scenario. The lead is cut ever so slightly, or, or I'm sorry, the lead 0.1% swings more in Pete's direction with the state delegate equivalents, but Bernie is still leading in the popular vote. Then they released 75% hours later, and everybody was like, what on God's green earth is going on? You're releasing, you went from 71% to 75%, and it was hours in between? What's happening? What's going on? Why is this taking so long? And we learned that, you know, 
yet again, Bernie Sanders is leading in the popular vote, but they say Pete is leading in the um, state delegate equivalents. Then we get 92%. I think right now we're at 97%. And what happened? Here, I'm going to go ahead and pause for a second and let you guess what happened. Would you look at that? Almost all of the heavy pro-Bernie areas, they release late. Isn't that convenient? So Pete goes out there and he does a three-day victory lap, starting the night of the Iowa caucus and then the subsequent nights, every day going around acting like he's winning, basically saying, I was victorious. And then what happens as a result of that? And the media non-stop puffing him up. The polls come out in New Hampshire, Pete surges, up eight points. If you're not skeptical of what's happening here, you're not paying attention. So, I haven't even gotten to the craziest part yet. And remember, everything I've said so far is proven. We know it's true. Everything I've said so far. There's no part of this that's like, you know, me overreaching or giving my opinion. It's a matter of fact that Pete's campaign gave over 40 grand to help fund this app that they're using to report the results. Former Clinton people were involved with the creation of the app. So many problems with the app. It wasn't even minimally secured. You needed two different passwords and nobody even knew the freaking passwords. It wasn't stress tested and crashed immediately. All this stuff. Look at this. The IDP, Iowa Democratic Party, is now reporting vote totals from Black Hawk County that are at odds with what Black Hawk County themselves have reported. So when you go into the specifics of that, you find in no uncertain terms, Bernie support and Warren support is going to Tom Steyer and Deval Patrick. The only reason we even know about this is because the supervisor from Black Hawk County was getting antsy because they weren't releasing his results. And he's like, I, I don't know what the holdup is. I gave it to them a day ago. And so he posted about it and gave all the specifics in a very concise way. And he said, here are the results of our county. And when they released the official results, You had Bernie support and Warren support, but I think way more was taken from Bernie's support because he had more support, going to Tom Steyer and Deval Patrick. Deval Patrick somehow ended up with over 1% of the state delegate equivalents. He he didn't do Dickie McGee's acts. There was nobody out there for Deval Patrick. What are you talking about? So, again, the only reason we know about this is because that supervisor was getting antsy and he posted on Facebook and said, hey, here are our results. If you need help, here it is. And so they were put in a position, the Iowa State Democratic Party, they tweet, oh, no, no, yeah, we're going to, a minor issue that we're fixing. So did they give an explanation as to how they messed up and had Bernie support go to Tom Steyer and Deval Patrick? No. No explanation, no nothing. They, they were like, oh, 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 yeah, no, no, that was a mistake, and we're fixing it, and everybody shut up, we're done. Super sketchy, super sketchy. And then now, 
we're supposed to believe that this race is dead tied with Bernie Sanders and Mayor Pete. I'll come out and say it. I know that there are people out there who won't say it, (laughs) but I'll say it. Even if Bernie ends up winning, which is now likely, because there's still some satellites that remain to be counted, and Bernie organized those satellites fantastically well. He's winning them like 75%, some of them 90%. But even if Bernie ends up winning, I still think that the results were messed with. I do. And there's been so much stuff out there that feeds that thought in my mind. Um, For instance, when the caucus was going on, everything coming out was showing that turnout was tremendous. Tremendous. People were tweeting about, you know, I've been waiting on line for five hours. I was like, I didn't even know lines for a caucus are a thing. I had no idea that was a thing. Uh, So some people were saying that. They were taking pictures. They were, you know, when you saw everything in the moment, and I'm not just talking about from pro-Bernie feeds. I'm talking about go anywhere on Twitter. Warren Twitter, you know, frickin' to the extent (laughs) there's any support for any of the other candidates other than Bernie and Warren on Twitter, you know, go check. And in the moment, everything was crystal clear, huge turnout, specifically among young people. And then the first article I see on turnout is hours later, and they say record low turnout. Record low turnout. See, now you're, you're putting me in a position where I know somebody's bullshitting me. And it's either you or my lying eyes. Now, you could say, well, you know, what do you really know about the size of the caucuses? And it might seem big, but it's not big. And maybe you're reading too much into it. And you're only seeing pro-Bernie accounts and this and this and that. Listen, son, listen. They maybe could have snuck by me average turnout if they wrote an article saying, yeah, it's about average turnout. I'd be like, okay, it looked kind of big to me, but maybe I'm wrong and it's average. You're not going to sneak by me low turnout. That's not happening. That's not happening. All the evidence I saw on social media was the exact opposite. And then come to find out later on, we learned that at least they're admitting specifically among young people, specifically among young people, um, massive turnout. And young pe- when young people turn out, who wins? Say with me, Bernard Sanders. So here, I'll tell you guys exactly what I think. I think that... Um, Bernie's internal numbers are dead accurate. When you say as a campaign, I have a comfortable lead, you know what that means? Let me decode that for you from political speak. Even if any of the other candidates surge, even if the candidate closest to me surges, he can't win. That's what that means. Oh, I have a comfortable lead. Even if everything goes perfectly for him from here on out, I still win by at least three points. Two points at the absolute worst. But they're telling us that, no, 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 dead tied between uh, Bernie and Pete. And, you know, it really looks like they fudge with the outcome and Bernie still is going to win. <laughs> That's really what it looks like, um, which is wild. But listen, I, I said it before, I'll say it again. I will. Bernie Sanders' campaign never lied to me. The Democratic Party lies to me all the time. So if you ask me to pick between the Bernie internals and the Iowa Democratic Party, who used an app tied to Clinton people 
and and Mayor Pete's team funded over 40 grand of the app. None of this is conspiracy. This is all on the record. This was all reported as we learned more on the night of the caucus. You're asking me to trust the same group of corrupt elitists, the establishment of the party that's rotten to its core, which screwed us in 2016. That's the other point. If you say, oh, conspiracy. We learned in 2016 because of WikiLeaks, thank God for WikiLeaks, that the Hillary campaign, an arm of the Hillary campaign, was the DNC. They got the last word on fucking press releases. So we knew they were messed with it last time, and now this time you're asking me, who do you believe? Do you believe your lying eyes? Or do you believe the Iowa Democratic Party? Do you believe Bernie's internal numbers? People who they trained to do this stuff accurately? Or do you believe this corrupt party? By the way, further evidence and, and reason to believe in Bernie's internals versus the, uh, the Democratic Party of Iowa? Apparently, the DNC helped take over at a certain point in counting. No, you're the, you're the exact people we don't trust. You're the exact people we don't trust. Also, there's been no transparency. It's a total black box. So they're not, they're, there's no timeline. They're not saying about when they'll get the, you know, the results in. They're, again, detailed evidence of them having results for a while and sl- a slow drip of releasing them and releasing them no explanation as to what, how they're doing it in the order that they're doing it. And if people fire back and say, well, it just goes by the population size of the thing. No, no, it doesn't. And it's not like, oh, the more populated areas are the ones that are coming in last. No, there is no logic to it. And again, there's evidence of them having results from certain counties and it not coming back for such a long time. So it, no transparency, zero transparency. Um, they said, oh, you know, we're doing it for quality control to make sure all the numbers are right. And then they did that gigantic screw up that they had to correct because social media caught it of them giving Bernie support to Steyer and, uh, and Deval Patrick. Weird. Why is it all the mistakes cut in one direction going against Bernie Sanders? There needs to be an explanation for that discrep- discrepancy. The discrepancy between Bernie's internal numbers, and to be clear, we don't have his 90% numbers or his 100% numbers. To my knowledge, all they released is his 60% numbers. But in Bernie's internal numbers, he is comfortably leading. You're going to have to explain the discrepancy. You know, this is an election. It's not supposed to be, well, about, about that. No. When you go to the bank, do they say, hey, here's about the $450 you wanted? They say, here's $450. We're going to give it exact. This is money. This is serious. But in election, we're going to do some about shit. His internals could have a five-point difference between the final results. Even if Bernie ends up winning, he's going to, you know, edge it out. There's no logical explanation for that. They're going to have to try, hey, here's the discrepancy. Here are the uh, precincts. Here are the counties. Here's how it happened. Super sketchy process. The Iowa caucus is almost certainly going to be gone from its first-in-the-nation spot, at least in the Democratic side. Um, and it's wholly earned, man. Listen, I'll, I'll say it very, in a very plain way here. What should we do? First of all, there should be national standards. That's obvious. To have each state do it and then all of them have different rules is ridiculous. But it should be primaries, not caucuses. Okay, that's point number one. Point number two is open primaries, not closed primaries. That's point number two. Um, and by the way, the reason for that is it's more democratic. It's more democratic. 
So, you know, and people say, oh, well, you can have the occasional situation of somebody voting for somebody who they don't want and who they don't like, but they're only doing it to prop up somebody in the other party. That's super rare, but even if that does happen, so what? So what? You're still going to get, there's going to be more of an upside than there is a downside because you're going to have more people who might be crossover voters in a given election, an independent who wants to vote for Bernie, a Republican who wants to vote, vote for Bernie, or somebody, a Democrat who wants to vote for Trump. You'll have more people voting their conscience than if you do it a different way. So you should have that. You should also have ranked choice voting, and you should also have proportional delegates in every state. Some states, of course, are still winner take all. So that's how they should do it. I think that's the best way. That's the most fair way. That's the most objective way to get to one person, one vote. What we saw in Iowa, even if Bernie ends up winning, it was sketchy beyond all imagination. And um, even if, again, even if he ends up winning, um, I think his internals are way more accurate. It's not like when Bernie's team trained the people to get the results, they said, oh, and now, by the way, make sure you skew it in favor of our guy. They don't do that. They're trained to be objective about it. So you have those people versus an Iowa Democratic Party and a DNC, which has given us every reason to doubt them. And would you look at that? The result is Mayor Pete does a three-day victory lap and gets a giant spike in New Hampshire. But listen, I want to be on the record about this. I said it a thousand times, and you guys remember, in order for Bernie to win, he needs to overwin. That looks like literally what happened in Iowa. That literally looks like what happened in Iowa. Sorry, Bernie, to win, you got to overwin. Looks like he won by four or five points, and now he's going to barely eke out the tiniest of victories. That is exactly what I warned you about. So moving forward, I'm not playing, son. You better get your ass off the couch. You better make some phone calls. You better text. You better canvas for them. Do something. Make yourself useful. Because we need to win this race. It's not a question. We need to win this race. Absolutely. So we have to overwin in order to win. So up and at them. Get to it. If you're in New Hampshire, get ready because we're coming. Get ready. You better get ready the day you wake up on that day to get out and go vote. Take a day off from work if you have to. Whatever it is, you, ha- you got to do it. Nevada caucus. Get ready. Get ready. If we win New Hampshire and Nevada, we win New Hampshire and Nevada. Then we probably win South Carolina. Then it's over. If you go four for four, the first four contests, what race is there? Ain't no race anymore. Ain't no race. Who's going to surge? Klobuchar? (laughs) Mayor Pete? Biden, who's hanging on for dear life and trying to beg his donors today? I'm still viable. I'm still viable. Oh, man. We have to overwin in order to win. And my, my words were proven correct in literally the first contest. Okay. 
next. The Iowa caucus was a debacle at best, at best. At best, it was extreme incompetence beyond belief, record-breaking incompetence. Again, that's at best. Worst case, super nefarious. They're trying to game the results. They're doing it as we speak, and they've been doing it since the, the votes came in. That's the, that's the God's honest truth. You, there's nothing you could ever say that would make me believe that it's just totally, totally innocent that Mayor Pete's team donated over 40 grand to create the app that's used to count the frickin' votes. There's nothing you could say that would make it okay for former Clinton people to be involved in the creation of this app. There's nothing you could say that would make me believe it was just an oopsie that, oh, there's no encryption on the app. Oh, there's no security. Oh, did we not stress test the app? There was a frickin', I think it was ProPublica article that just came out that said, oh, a hacker could easily hack this and not just hack it, change the results. Change the results. Change the results. Change the results. So, super sketchy. I told you from day one, in order for Bernie to win this race, he needs to overwin, and I meant it. Bernie's internals had him up about five points in Iowa. And it looks like he's going to win by like point some odd percent, point one, point five, one point, whatever it might be. Ooh, so scary, scary stuff because there's already sketchiness, incompetence or nefariousness. That's already happening. But, but there's some good news. There's some good news out of this race. Bernie Sanders is now, according to everybody, the overwhelming favorite to win the nomination. So the betting markets, the betting markets, this is on predicted, they have Bernie crushing the competition, overwhelmingly likely to be the Democratic nominee, by far and away. Now Bloomberg is number two, and Biden collapsed all the way to number three. Now, you could say, well, that's just the betting markets, and what the hell do they know? Eh, usually the betting markets are actually, there's quite a bit of wisdom there, but um, who's the favorite, according to 538, Nate Silver, who notoriously has an anti-Bernie Sanders bias? Bernie Sanders is the favorite, according to Nate Silver. He's at number one. And this is on the first ballot alone. First ballot. Bernie at number one with a 37% chance of winning the nomination. No one, 27%. That would be if nobody gets a majority. Um, Biden, 21%. Warren, 10%. So in other words, it's a plurality. It's the most likely thing to happen compared to all the other things is Bernie winning a majority. So winning it on the first ballot, that's according to Nate Silver. 538, they they released um, a list 
of, hey, here are the states that are most likely to go this direction. Here are the states that are most likely to go that direction. You're, you're going to love this. You ready? When the results from Iowa came in, or we got, you know, 95% of the results in, right? You only had Joe Biden winning, like, I think it was three or four states. Bernie Sanders, according to 538, is the favorite to win all of the other states. When I woke up this morning, this is going to sound fake. It's not, I promise you. Bernie Sanders had become the favorite to win every single state in the country in the primary. Did you hear me? Did you hear me correctly there? I don't know. Maybe you want to get you got some in your ears. You want to maybe take it out a little bit? He's the favorite, according to Nate Silver. Who doesn't like Bernie? The favorite to win every single state in this primary election. Here we come. Now, I'm going to say something, and you better not click out of the video now, because this part is even more important than what I just told you. Keep fighting like we're 10 points down. Keep doing it. Because the Democratic establishment is not going to lay down and just let Bernie take it. We already saw in Iowa that they don't want that to happen. Even with gaming the results, it looks like Bernie's going to edge it out. But I think they were gaming the results. Absolutely. I think you're kind of naive if you think it was just incompetence. I really do. I really do. But you have to keep fighting like we're 10 points down. Matter of fact, fuck it. 15 points down. Let's say we're, pretend like you're 15 points down. We're 15 points down. Because we need to win this thing on the first goddamn ballot. Now, listen, let's say we don't win it on the first ballot, but he has the most votes. He has, so, in other words, he has less than 50% support, but he has the most support of anybody in the race. In that scenario, he's going to be the nominee because we're going to make him be the nominee. We're not taking no for an answer in that case. We're not. We will literally, millions of people will march on the DNC. Millions of people. Millions of people. I will be a fucking leader with a megaphone in my hand in that situation. I will be there with all of you. We will be marching hand in hand. And we will make goddamn sure he becomes the nominee in that scenario. But we could avoid all this trouble and this entire headache if we just get him over 50%. So if you're in New Hampshire, get out there. If you're in Nevada, get out there. If you're in South Carolina, get out there. If Bernie wins Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, South Carolina, where he's about five points down as of last week, he could win that easily. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, man. Pretend like we're 15 points down. Pedal to the metal. Never give up that fighting spirit. We have to we have, play like you're an underdog. Kobe Bryant, the, the late Kobe Bryant famously said, I played every single game like I was the 12th man on the bench. You want to know why I was so good? You want to know why I'm uh, you know, regarded as one of the best to ever play the game? Because every single game, I played like I was the 12th person on the bench. Which means I always had something to prove. Always had something to prove. Never said, I'm Kobe Bryant. I'm Kobe Bryant. Never. You always play like you're a nobody. And you have to it, play like it's your last game. You have to make an impression that day. Go. This is what we got to do for this primary. Because I, I, 
said it, and I'm going to keep saying it. We have to overwin in order to win, and we saw that in Iowa, and now it's the same for the rest of it. So get out there, man. Get out there. Let's do this damn thing. Let's do it. We're right there. Bernie Sanders could be the next president of the United States of America. It's all on us. Our future is in our hands. Doesn't it feel good when you know you have an impact? Well, now we could have that impact. So it's time for all hands on deck. All right, here we go. I'm going to talk about impeachment. You guys were waiting for this one, I bet. I will keep periodically checking to see. I will keep periodically checking to see what's going on in Iowa if they release it. Yeah, I'm... I'm, I always want to make sure. I always want to make sure. Okay. Okay. Nothing yet. No final, final numbers yet. Now, time for me to gloat. The day of reckoning for the Democrats finally came. The Senate has acquitted President Donald Trump on both articles of impeachment. He will not be removed from office. So on the article of abuse of power, the Senate found the president not guilty by a vote of 52 to 48. with Republican Senator Mitt Romney being the only Republican to break ranks and join the Democrats and vote not guilty. On the article of obstruction of Congress, the Senate found him not guilty by a vote of 53 to 47. And on that one, Mitt Romney, I believe, voted with the Republicans and said not guilty. The Democrats needed two-thirds in order to impeach him and remove him from office. Two-thirds of the Senate. This was monumentally, colossally off. They weren't in the same universe. They weren't in the same galaxy. They weren't in the same multiverse. How, how do you want, after all that time and all that energy and effort, how do you wind up like nearly 20 votes short? Listen. Every single person on the left who made you think there was even a small chance that this would work, shame on them. Shame on them. I was maligned for 
sticking my neck out there like I did with the Mueller report, and I was right about the Mueller report, but I was maligned for doing it on impeachment too. When you go out there and you say, as somebody who's on the left, this is stupid, this is dumb, this isn't going to work, this is probably going to help them. Why would you go down this path if you know it's going to fail and you know it's going to help them? If you say your main goal is getting rid of Trump, okay, fair enough. Well, what you're doing here is going to, the opposite is likely to happen as a result of what you're doing. You are helping him and making it more likely he gets a second term. Why is this simple logic not setting in with people? When you go out there and say it, I swear to God, otherwise intelligent people turn around, and you know this. You heard people say it. You saw people tweet it. You saw segments about it. They act like Kyle's, Kyle's gone soft on Trump. He's weak. He's weak. He's sympathetic to the Trump administration. That's why he's saying what he's saying. Because, you know, it's not possible that somebody on the left has an intellectual, strategic disagreement where they've thought it through thoroughly and they know they're right. No, it can't be that. It can't be that. Kyle thought it through and saw how it was likely to play out and said, hey, we should avoid that worst-case scenario at all costs. No, I'm going to go with the theory of he secretly likes Trump. I'll go with that one. Well, then what do you want me to tell you? You're a fucking idiot. You're a virtue-signaling little idiot. And I've, see, I've seen it, people I love, people I respect, you know, acting like, we got to be strong, we got to be strong on this, and in order to be strong, you impeach them. And it's like, there's a difference between being strong and being stupid. I think my anti-Trump, you know, strategies are really strong and intelligent. I think the idea of just impeaching with this weak-ass line of argument, I thought it was stupid. And I, how many times did I tell you guys, if you're going to impeach, because now, now is when people say, oh, okay, well, hold on. So what are you saying? You, can't, you shouldn't impeach over anything because it's not going to get through? I've answered that question before. The answer is, if you're going to impeach, and you know there's a 0% chance that it's going to get through, you, at the very least, have to pick super substantive issues where, even with you losing, the public case you make is so strong that it swings public opinion against them. That's my standard. Because impeachment is not a jury trial. It's a political process. It's a political process, not a judicial one. So since it's a political process, yes, you make political calculations. No shit. No shit. So that's why I said if you're going to impeach, you have to do it over a monument's corruption because the evidence is overwhelming and it would shock the conscience if people knew the details of it. Or you do it over genocide in Yemen, which actually ties into a monument's corruption because he's taking money from the Saudi Arabian government and arming them and helping them massacre women and children and babies in Yemen. So if you, if you were going to impeach, which I think strategically there's a, there's a debate to have as to whether or not that makes sense to do, okay? But if you were going to do it, you cannot do it over a stupid Ukraine phone call scandal that nobody really cares about unless they're up to their eyeballs in this bullshit 24-7. And then also, in the impeachment trial, all you guys look so smug and up your own asses with your stupid speeches with Adam Schiff. The fate of the republic, good sir. The fate of the republic. 
And what are we going to do? Vladimir Putin is loving every single thing this president does, good sir. If you don't arm Ukraine and do it immediately, Russia will take over Nebraska. Yay. I mean, the stupid fear market. Why are you even bringing up the Mueller report? You failed on that front. Newsflash. So the impeachment was nominally supposed to be about the Ukraine phone call and abuse of power, but Adam Schiff keeps bringing up Russiagate and Mueller in his speech. What are you doing? Who the fuck are you going to, whose mind are you going to change about that? Whose mind? Answer, nobody. You're preaching to your own little MSNBC, CNN click. That's all you're doing. People who are already convinced are the ones who are like, yes, Adam Schiff. Not a single person's mind was changed by Adam Schiff because he didn't craft his arguments to actually be convincing. He crafted them to virtue signal and pander and get those, you know, the adoration from the MSNBC elitist crowd. These guys have no idea what they're doing. The Democratic Party is not coming to save you. It's the blind leading the blind. They're a bunch of fucking idiots. On a, youth, a loudmouth YouTuber like me accurately predicted the Mueller report and predicted impeachment. And people act like, you know, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, these people, are, these people know what they're doing. Rachel Maddow knows what she's saying. Are you kidding me? You're, you're helping Trump. You're guaranteeing a Trump 2020 victory if you keep listening to these morons and these charlatans. Now, I'm a little animated right now. You want to know why I'm animated? Because I've been saying the same goddamn thing since the beginning of this whole fiasco. I was right every step of the way, and there will be no reckoning with that fact. Just like when I was proven right on the Mueller report the next day, everybody who was wrong, there was never a mea culpa. It was just like, anyway, moving forward, I see, I, I think he was kind of guilty, even though it's clearly, clearly the case that Mueller didn't get him on Dickie McGee's axe. But so I want to say he's kind of guilty and move forward, move forward. So there was no reckoning that me and a handful of others on the left were correct about the Mueller report. Now there's no reckoning. And by the way, I've already seen it. People who were saying the opposite thing on impeachment now pretending like, oh, well, there you go. Foregone conclusion. He gets acquitted. You weren't saying that two months ago. You weren't saying that two months ago. Who are you kidding? There's video evidence of people saying, oh, oh, this has a chance of working. Oh, yep. You know, he could be gone soon. And remember who was telling you the truth every step of the way. And again, I wasn't doing it because I'm secretly pro-Trump. I'm doing it because I'm empirically looking at how the situation is likely to unfold. And now the final point, and again, this is a giant I told you so moment. When Nancy Pelosi passed impeachment through the House, what did I say? I said, pause, wait, wait. Take your victory and run, bro. Why? Because when you win, you know what happens when you win? Your numbers go up. So Nancy Pelosi won and got up through the House, and then overnight, basically, 55% of the country supported impeaching Trump. Whoa, you got a strong majority? Wow, congratulations. So what was Pelosi doing? Sitting on the articles of impeachment. And I gave her credit when she did that. I said, good, 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 good. Sit on it forever. Because <laughs> if you send it to the Senate, he's going to get acquitted. Why acquit him? Why give him that acquittal? He, Trump was going crazy when Pelosi was refusing to send it to the Senate. Why? Because he wanted his name cleared. So I said, why would you clear his name? Sit on, sit on it forever. Sit on it forever. And then what happened? She was just holding out to try to get better terms in the trial in the Senate. And then she got pressure from other Democrats. You got to release it. Oh, we got to be strong and do the trial and try to win. Oh. So she released it, gave it to the Senate, and then he got acquitted, exactly like I predicted. When it became clear that he was going to get acquitted, this was pre-acquittal, but it was clear he was going to get acquitted. Guess what? New poll came out from Gallup. 
Donald Trump has a record high favorability rating of 49%. 49%. Guess what? Now that he just got acquitted, and I'm seeing the headlines all over today, Teflon Don, Teflon Don, Teflon Don, Teflon Don. Guess what? Now his approval rating for the first time of his presidency is going to go over 50%. He's going to have a majority of the country that now support him, that say, I have a favorable view of him. In other words, exactly what I warned you would happen, would happen. I told you, don't do it. It's going to give him a bump in his approval rating. It's going to hurt the Democrats because this is what happened with Bill Clinton when Bill Clinton got acquitted in the Senate. Oh, no, no, we got to be strong. We got to be tough. We got to try it. We got to have principles. When it passed the House, I said, Nancy, don't send it to the Senate. Sit on it forever. Who cares if it comes across looking like a gimmick? Just blame McConnell. Say it's his fault. It's not my fault. It's his problem, not my problem. I'm trying to send it. He's rigging the trial. What do you want me to do? Sit on it forever, Nancy. Sit on it forever. They sent it. Now he gets acquitted. Now his approval rating goes up. I was right again. And there will be no reckoning about it. None. Nobody will tell you. Nobody who is wrong is going to come out and say, you know what? Kyle was 100% right and I was wrong. It's lonely sometimes. <laughs> it's lonely sometimes being in, in that situation where you're saying unpopular truths that are truths. In a world that made sense, that day of reckoning would come. But I'm not holding my breath. Okay, next. I want to show you the kind of questions that the media is asking Bernie surrogates. This is CNN's Erin Burnett, and she's reacting to Michael Bloomberg buying his way on the debate stage. Just the other day, a senior advisor, Jeff Weaver, was complaining about a rules change, uh, you know, the change that allows Bloomberg to be on the Democratic debate stage uh, in Nevada. And uh, Weaver said in part, quote, that's the definition of a rigged system. Do you agree or do you think that that word is being thrown around way too much and the Sanders campaign should back off it as well because it's hurting faith in the system? That was a question for Pramila Jayapal, a Bernie surrogate. I'll get to one in a little bit of Nina Turner being asked by um, Chris Matthews something, and then the most insane debate you've ever seen in your life happens over the word oligarch. But look at that. So understand the facts. Michael Bloomberg paid $300,000 to the DNC, and then they changed the debate rules to let him on the stage. Not only that, not only that, he gave $800,000 to the Democratic Grassroots Victory Fund, which is the hybrid DNC and state parties. So he gave over a million dollars to the DNC all on the same day. And then what happens? They say, oh, do we have an individual donor threshold to get you on the debate stage? Whoops, looks like we just got rid of that. Hee, hee, 
Thanks for the donation. If that's not corruption, if that's not rigging the process to help him, then there is no such thing. And instead of our intrepid reporters at CNN calling out the powerful, what do they do? They attack the powerless and act like the powerless are being misleading by saying, hey, there's a problem here. This appears sketchy. This looks off. Guys, what just happened in the Iowa caucus? What just happened in the Iowa caucus? The app crashes. It had zero security, no encryption. Uh, They didn't stress test it. Come to find out, Pete's campaign has funded the creation of the app over 40 grand worth. Former Clinton people built the damn app. And then would you look at that? Pete does a three-day victory lap before we find out that actually Bernie Sanders was the one who was in front. And then you don't like it when we use the naughty word rigged. I don't know what you want me to call that. In that instance, it's either the most extreme incompetence in human history or they're rigging it. They're trying to fix it. It's one or the other. These guys are ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It doesn't, like, it doesn't matter what the set of facts are. They will ignore them to say, how dare you use the no-no word? How dare you say oligarchy? How dare you say plutocracy? How dare you say corruption? How dare you say rigged? Honestly, it really all goes back to the only reason Aaron Burnett's hired and in this position and many other CNN reporters are in the position that they're in is because at their core, they're American exceptionalists and they are willing to believe for uh, no us. We never, we don't have a rigged system by definition. We don't have corruption by definition because we're, we're America. We're the, the amazing country. So, you know, I will bend definitions. I'll twist myself into an intellectual pretzel to say that doesn't apply to us. That doesn't apply to us. Stop it. It doesn't apply to us. But it does. But it does. If you have a a billionaire give over a million dollars to the DNC and the state parties, and then they change the rules for him, there's only one conclusion there. So who are you kidding? Mainstream media will never give Bernie Sanders and his team a fair shake, ever, ever, ever. But I think it's backfired because people see their BS, man. They see through it from a mile away. So, you know, keep doing a terrible job, and we'll keep supporting our guy and our team. And um, thank you for the inadvertent boost in support for us. Okay. All right, let me take a break. When we come back. I got a hell of a lot more. Don't go anywhere. We're really just getting started. Busy day.
back, bitch. We're back, y'all. <clears throat> Motherfucker. <clears throat> okay. Okay, so, um, now I believe we go to the Nina Turner story, yes. You're going to get a kick out of this. Nina Turner spoke to Chris Matthews about what's happening in Iowa. This was, I think, just before the results, or even the fiasco, I should say. Um, And Jason Johnson, Dr. Jason Johnson, is an MSNBC contributor, a well-known Bernie hater. And he jumped in to cape for billionaire Mike Bloomberg because of a point that Nina Turner made. So let's watch, and then we'll break it down. Notice, but we got a grassroots army 
They just released fundraising numbers for the month of January. Bernie Sanders raised $25 million, blowing everybody else out of the water and not taking any big money. It's all through a small-dollar army. Come on, man. Come on. Like, what are you saying? But more importantly, he really just tried to argue that Michael Bloomberg is not an oligarch. Why? Why? Because you want to, you want to, you know, play a game with Nina Turner where you just have a reactionary response to everything she says. You want to be a contrarian? Is that what it is? Because here's a, you know, a very straightforward definition of an oligarch. This is from the Cambridge Dictionary. One of a small group of powerful people who control a country or an industry. Would you say that Mike Bloomberg is one of a small group of powerful people who control a country or an industry? I certainly would. I certainly would. And in fact, we'll get to a story later. It is, you can actually put the blame at the feet of Mike, Mike Bloomberg for Republicans winning the Senate. I'm not kidding. In a very crucial race that could have handed control of the Senate over to Democrats, he gave millions of dollars to a Republican. And that Republican ended up winning by 1.5 points. Hmm, is that an oligarch? Is that an oligarch? A guy who bought his way into being New York City mayor and then scrapped the term rules because he wanted to? Is that an oligarch? Is it an oligarch when, you know, this billionaire has his own media apparatus and then runs for president? Is that an oligarch? Is that an oligarch? I mean, why are you being so silly? Of course he's a powerful person and he's part of a small group of powerful people who control, in this case, in ind- industries and a country. He's trying to buy his way. I said this is a case study in, in just how far money alone can take you in an election. And the reason behind that is his personality is that of watching paint dry. There's no personality there. His ideology is not popular because I've gone you know, through the list with you guys before, but this is a guy who vetoed a minimum wage increase. Regular people don't agree with that. Ban the big gulp drinks. Regular people don't agree with that. Um, he, he's for TPP and all the outsourcing deals. Regular people don't agree with that. So his ideology is not popular. And his personality is non-existent, but he somehow it now is at 10% in the polls because he bought it by carpet bombing the airwaves with ads that are like, Trump is bad, now I'm good. Wow, very freaking inspiring. But he got his way up to 10%. So listen, we'll see. This is a case study in just how far money can take you. But the fact that it is money and money alone that got him to this point, hell yes, we're going to call him an oligarch. You want to know why? Because he's an oligarch. Okay, next. We are moving on to Rush Limbaugh. So President Trump gave Rush Limbaugh, who was just diagnosed with advanced stage four lung cancer, He's given him the Congressional Medal of Freedom. 
Now, uh, you know, I hope he gets better. I hope I don't wish cancer on anybody. I will take a bold stance against cancer. <laughs> I think part of being a lefty means that uh, there are certain things that you look at, and it's your it's basic humanity to not want people to feel pain, even if they're genuinely bad people. I think he's a bad person. I do, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, but I also think that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter that he's a bad person. I don't wish pain on anybody. Anybody. Um, and I mean that, you know. Uh, I'm not going to, like, just to give one more example here, but, you know, um, I'm not going to lose sleep, and I'm not going to cry, and I'm not going to be upset on the day that Dick Cheney passes away. But I also don't, I won't celebrate it, you know. I'm not going to dance in the streets or some shit. Now, am I going to blame you if you're an Iraqi mother who lost her son because of Dick Cheney? Am I going to blame you if you're a little jovial when he dies? No, I won't blame you. But me personally, even if you could point out the worst person in the world, and I don't think I, I don't think it's a, a very lefty reaction to take joy in anybody's pain. I have zero problems with indifference. You know, like I felt nothing when I heard that he, he had cancer. Um, but I don't wish cancer on anybody, and I don't wish pain and suffering on anybody, um, even my worst enemies. And you could file him under the worst enemies category because I think he's had a truly deleterious effect on this country for decades. Um, but again, some things are just about humanity. And if you're somebody who does celebrate stuff like that, all I can say is that I disagree with you. The only instances where I can understand it are if it's like I described before, so personal that somebody, you know, like if somebody died, somebody had a husband or wife who died in 9-11 and then Osama bin Laden dies and they're happy about it. I don't, I don't take, I wouldn't take that away from them. That's fine. But I do think that as a general rule, you should try to avoid taking pleasure in people's uh, pain. So uh, I just never had that thing where I had that reaction. I, I always, even when bad people die, I'm not like, you know, tap dancing on their grave or whatever. Um, but anyway, so Trump gave Rush Limbaugh the Congressional Medal of Freedom. And I do think that the only reason he did it and the only reason he's really going to get away with doing it uh, is because Rush was just advanced with, uh, was just diagnosed with advanced stage four lung cancer. So now we're in a position where if anybody says anything about him getting the Congressional Medal of Freedom and how stupid it is and how ridiculous it is, they immediately flip that to, and he's got stage four cancer. I guess you're happy that he has cancer. I didn't say that. No, I'm, I, I am anti-cancer. I want cancer to go away forever. I will take a bold, strong stand against cancer, and I don't take pleasure in people's pain, but this isn't about that. I want Rush to not have cancer, but I also want him to not have the Medal of Freedom because that's preposterous. <laughs> so... Uh, Media Matters put together a compilation of some of the stuff that Rush has said over the years. Um, and this is just a little sampling, but you get a sense of who this dude is. So let's watch them. We'll come back and discuss. 
doesn't look like Michelle Obama follows her own nutritionary, dietary advice. I'm trying to say that our first lady does not project the image of women that you might see on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. There are plenty of lard-ass women in politics, and they get a total pass on it. The millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire. Here you have a black president trying to destroy a white policeman. The media has been very desirous that a black quarterback do well. For instance, black coaches and black quarterbacks doing well, I think there's a little hope invested in McNabb, and he got a lot of credit for the performance of this team that he really didn't deserve. You put your kids in a school bus, you expect, you expect safety, but in Obama's America, the white kids now get beat up with the black kids cheering. Yeah, right on, right on, right on. So David Patterson will become the NASA. Yes. Who gets to a point, whoever gets to take Massa's place. So, for the first time in his life, Patterson's will be a Massa. I am proud to announce tonight they have discovered that Obama does have slave blood. It's preposterous that Caucasians are blamed for slavery when they've done more to end it than any other race. If any race of people should not have guilt about slavery, it's Caucasians. What is it? It's where the NFL all too often looks like a game between the Bloods and the Crips. You will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The way this can all be worked out, Clyburn's new position driving Miss Nancy. In the end, Powell will vote for Obama. There's no doubt the titular head of the Republican Party, the ideal model Republican, will vote for Obama. Melanin is thicker than water, folks. The salesperson obviously thought that the Oprah couldn't afford the, what is it, $38,100 bag. Maybe it's because the Oprah's fat. Well, that's the thing. How was the Oprah dressed? I mean, she didn't look like the Oprah, obviously. Was she wearing a jumpsuit with, uh, with, with tennis shoes, uh, maybe Air Jordans that were not laced up? I mean, who knows? You find yourself staring, looking at, casually glancing at a woman. But you know that it's now socially taboo. You shouldn't be doing it. And you think everybody is noticing you doing it and, and condemning you in their mind. You shouldn't be doing it. You walk up to the woman and say, would you please ask your breasts to stop staring at my eyes. honest with you guys, I was going to splice together my own uh, Rush Limbaugh compilation, but I decided I'll just use the Media Matters one because there's so, there's so much going on with the Iowa caucus and a thousand other things that I didn't have, you know, three, four hours to spare to try to put together my own compilation. Um, but if I were to put together my own compilation, I went through secular talk clips that have covered Limbaugh over the years. And let me just give you a little sampling um, 
of what's in those. So recently he said that hurricane warnings are a hoax. That would have made it into my compilation. He says climate change is a hoax on a regular basis. He thinks evolution is a hoax and the Big Bang is a hoax. And he said this very clearly on his show time and time again. Perhaps more importantly, he's argued for deregulation ruthlessly over the years. Huge defender of Wall Street deregulation, huge, huge defender of tax cuts for the rich. And he's argued that basically every war we've gone to is moral and just and the right thing to do. He was the biggest George W. Bush apologist and defender when he did the Iraq War, the illegal and offensive Iraq War. He was defending it to the hilt, even up until Donald Trump was running for president and he was running against the war. Rush Limbaugh was hesitant to get on the Trump train, and that was one of the reasons why, is because Trump bucked orthodoxy when he was campaigning on, um, on issues of trade. He sounded more protectionist, and he was bashing NAFTA and whatnot. Rush Limbaugh's a huge free trader, huge free trader. So Limbaugh's a free trader and a neoconservative. His whole thing is, I just defend the Republicans, full stop. And even until, in, when it became clear that Trump was going to win and he had the most power, he then kissed Trump's ring. And all of a sudden, you know, Trump has never been wrong about everything. But in the early stages of the 2015-2016 Republican primary, he was against Trump because he's a free trader. He didn't like the protectionist talk, and he loves the wars. And also, the biggest torture apologist we've ever seen in media, ever. He literally would go on for days when the torture scandal broke about how there's nothing to see here. So those are some of the things that would have made it, and, and again, I have videos for all this stuff, but these are the things that would have made it to my compilation. I think with the Media Matters one, they, they kind of leaned a little too much in the, you know, SJW-ish camp with some of the things. Like, he's just, one of those is just a gross dad joke where he's talking about, like, breasts. Like, that, that's the kind of stuff that in Media Matters So like, oh, my goodness. I'm not really that offended by that. I mean, I do think that, I, don't get me wrong, I think Rush is a bigot. <laughs> Uh, but that is not like what I would put in his top five, 10, 20, or even hundred things he said that's like outrageous. Um, now, the, the final point is, and you saw plenty of examples of this here, he's a race hustler. That's what he is. What's so funny is like the thing he accuses so many people on the left of being is what he is. Guys, Rush Limbaugh, you know, one of the fundamental cornerstones of his show is white identity politics white identity politics it's you know as you pretend like you don't care about race and you're above it all and it's only those left left-wing people and black people who are so obsessed with race all day long white identity politics on rush limbaugh show so um he really represents a dying breed of conservative thinker um if you could even call him a thinker because i think he's a giant moron um, but it really is like a dying breed. You know, there's a whole new, there are multiple new kinds of uh, conservatives that have become a much more dominant strains of thought in the movement. And uh, he's literally, the strain of uh, thought that he represents is called movement conservatism. You know, and he doesn't seem like a religious dude, but he's a big pander to the evangelicals. So very, very dying breed of conservative. Um, and honestly, 
as far as breeds of conservatives go, one of the worst breeds of conservatives, Rush Limbaugh is. And I mean that. Just like consistently wrong about everything. About everything. Thankfully, you see, you know, a rise in other... There was a rise in the libertarian movement on the right, which is a much better uh, conservative strain of thought uh, with Ron Paul in 2008. Um, Now you see this pseudo-populist movement. You have, uh, you know, guys like Sagar and Jetty on uh, Rising on Hill TV, where they actually do have some left-wing economic beliefs. Um, So they're just like more evolved, more interesting schools of conservative thought. But Rush Limbaugh for decades uh, was a leader in media, definitely throughout the 1990s, early 2000s as well. But funny enough, now he's never been more irrelevant. But what Trump is doing here is really red meat to the base because, you know, he, Trump is a good politician in terms of how he sells himself and how he coalition builds. I mean, I know nobody will tell you that on mainstream media, but it's true. And what he's doing here is he's solidifying that base of support, like the old angry white dude. He's solidifying that they come out for him in the 2020 election. I mean, this is one of a thousand things he's done that does that. But this is definitely what that is. He's, the Democratic Party routinely stabs their base in the back. The Republican Party never does. They always throw red meat to their base. And that's exactly what this is right here. So, um, you know, it's a clever political move, man. Clever political move. As there's a bunch of fuckery going on in Iowa where, you know, it looks like they're trying to screw the candidate who has the support of the base, Bernie, Exactly at the same time that's happening, Trump is throwing red meat to his base by giving Rush Limbaugh the Medal of Freedom during the State of the Union. Really wild that this guy has it. And I'm not kidding when I say I think that him giving it, him giving the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh, Trump doing that, it actually does cheapen the Medal of Freedom. And I'm pissed because that's, Tiger Woods just got one. And I like, I'm like, Tiger Woods' number one fan. <laughs> I love Tiger Woods. And the fact that, like, now Rush Limbaugh also has one. I think, forget Tiger Woods. And, again, I'm the biggest fan of Tiger Woods. But the Congressional Medal of Freedom, didn't, like, Rosa Parks get it? <laughs> you can't. Come on, man. You can't give it a Rush Limbaugh. It's just so, it cheapens it. It really does. Because this guy is, on top of being a bigot, which is the obvious point, he's just objectively wrong about everything he's ever said. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. I'm not kidding. I've literally never turned on Rush Limbaugh show and thought that's a decent point. Ever. 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 <laughs> Sam Cedar used to do a segment called Random Rush where he would turn it on for like 30 seconds or a minute and then respond to it. And it's like he was doing that because he knew damn well if I play anything on his show, it's going to be ridiculous. And it's just a shame that that dude brainwashed an entire generation. Uh, but thankfully, his power has waned. And uh, there, Trump said, oh, he talks to millions of people. The way they calculated those numbers, even back in the 90s when they did, was total BS. Now, I'm not kidding, guys, next to nobody's listening to him. Nobody. He got kicked off of his flagship station here in New York years ago. And they were playing dead air in between. Ever since the Sandra Fluke thing in, like, early 2010s, he's had, like, nobody listening to him. But th- th- through the 1990s and the early 2000s, he was pretty influential, Um, but even at his absolute peak, it was only like maybe a million people who listened to him, Uh, and that's stretching it. 
So really, really sad thing. Um, the guy's a total moron. But I don't wish cancer on anybody, so I will end on a positive note and just say that um, anybody who's dealing with cancer, I hope they defeat it. Okay. Okay, here we go. So I have a warning for you if you live in California. This is particularly for L.A. County, but it might go beyond in some ways. So Jank Uger says the following. Looming disaster in California ballot. There are multiple pages on, new dig- on a new digital ballot and you can vote without seeing all the pages and all the candidates running. Could make Iowa caucus disaster look like a walk in the park. So apparently they've done research on this, and the way that they structured this ballot, people who are on the second page or any of the subsequent pages, people who are not on the first page, have a 6 to 12 point disadvantage. So there's a 6 to 12 point advantage if you're on the first page. Would you like to take a guess what page Jank Uger is on? It, it certainly ain't number one. So um, this, this segment is important, and I hope you share it far and wide, particularly with people in Los Angeles. Um, make sure you check all the pages when you vote. Jank is running in the 25th Congressional District of California. Make sure if you're in that district, you vote and make sure you go, you look at all the pages because they're going to try to do some tricky stuff to take this thing from him without a doubt. And by the way, they're scared of him. They are because he's hanging in there with fundraising with her. And she, of course, is corrupt beyond imagination. And they're trying to, like, just gift this to her. But he's an insurgent candidate and he's got a lot of grassroots energy. So this is super important that Jenk Uger um, wins. Um, now the other point is, I don't know what the deal is with the primary there in all of California. I know it's coming up early this year. Um, but is it possible that Bernie Sanders is on the ballot and he's pages deep in California? It could be, it could be, it could be, I don't know. So uh, this is me just like stressing to people in this particular race that if they're willing to mess with the ballot in L.A. County, they're probably willing to mess with the ballot all over California. And we just have to hope that be vigilant and make sure you see all your options and you do the right thing, whether you're voting in the California primary or you're voting in, um, you know, L.A. County in uh, Cenk Uger's special election. But so this is my warning. Now, the final thing I'll say here, and this is pretty important as well, is in New York, it's a closed primary. Listen to me, people. You, if you're in New York, I don't care if you're an independent or a Republican. 
change to a Democrat. Change to a Democrat. You need to be a Democrat to vote in the Democratic primary. February 14th is the last day you can change party affiliation. February 14th. That's coming up very soon. I believe that's Valentine's Day. It's coming up very soon. Make sure you change your party affiliation in New York to Democrat uh, for the primary election, or else you will not be able to vote for Bernie Sanders in the primary, and he needs those votes. You guys got to remember what happened in 2016. I saw it with my own two eyes, and it broke my damn heart, man. It broke my heart. There was a kid maybe 21, 22 years old. Um, he shows up in 2016. I'm there voting for Bernie Sanders, cheesing on my face, OD, so happy. This kid goes, I don't, he goes up to the people and he's like, I don't know. I'm either registered as a Democrat or an independent. I'm not sure. And they check for him. They go, you're an independent. He was heartbroken. He was there to vote for Bernie and he got turned away because we have closed primaries in New York where only Democrats can vote in the Democratic primary and only Republicans can vote in the Republican primary. Open primaries are so much better because, yes, there are going to be some Republicans who want to vote for Bernie who forgot to change their party affiliation. There are going to be independents who want to vote for Bernie, who want to be independents and remain independents, but also vote for Bernie in the primary. Open primaries are just so much better, but, you know, we don't have that in New York, so I need you all to be vigilant. I need you to be on top of your stuff, and if you're in New York, I don't care what your feelings are on the Democratic Party. It's not about that. You have to be able to vote for Bernie, so we win. Bernie got beaten in New York pretty handily, and it is specifically because it's a closed primary. That's why Hillary sort of crush them here. So we need all the help we can get. This time around, it might be a lot different because Bernie Sanders is coming out of the gates. Ha, son. But still, do the right thing. So, and everybody else out there, I urge you to do your own research on your own state and do it now, right now. Stop this video and go do it. See what it's like if you live in Michigan, if you live in Illinois, if you live in Florida, if you live in Alabama, if you live in Texas, if, wherever, wherever it might be, South Carolina. Do all your research. Go, 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 go. Because we got to get it right, man. We got to get it right. As a famous song once said, baby, we can do it. Take your time. Do it right. We can do it, baby. Do it tonight. Although I'm pretty sure they weren't talking about voting. But I am. Okay, next. Next. I'm still checking, everybody. I'm still, I'm checking, guys. I'm checking. Apparently, Tom Perez. So I'm checking to see if the final, final results came in yet for Iowa. And apparently, Tom Perez just tweeted, enough is enough. In light of the problems that have emerged in the implementation of the delegate selection plan and in order to assure public confidence in the results, I'm calling on the Iowa Democratic Party to immediately begin a re-canvas. So 
So stop and think about it. You get three days of wall-to-wall coverage as if Pete won. He's claiming victory as if he won. Bernie's internal numbers have him up five points with a, quote, comfortable victory. Now we're getting to the end of the counting process where Bernie's about to win. And before they give Bernie his positive media, Tom Perez jumps out and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 recount, recanvas, do it now. Why don't you get the final results from this count and then start the second count? Oh, because you don't want them to say, in the final, Bernie won in the final count, you don't want them to say that. So you're like, no, no, stop, stop now and go back and, and count again and release again and show Pete leading again for three days before you eventually give it to Bernie. It's either the most extreme incompetence you've ever seen or it is the most evil genius you've ever seen. I honestly believe, and I did, you know, I did the long segment on this, and you guys can go watch it, but the fact that Mayor Pete's team helped fund the creation of the app that they used to, in this canvas, in this uh, caucus, I mean, over 40 grand his team paid. The fact that former Hillary people were involved in the creation of the app, that alone is such a gigantic conflict of interest that I lean more towards nefarious than incompetence. I do. As soon as we learned about Black Hawk County, where they were taking Bernie votes and giving them to Steyer and Deval Patrick, I said, oh, so this is nefarious. So I think that even with fixing it, Bernie's going to win. And so now they're trying to delay that inevitable. It is incredible, man. This is really incredible. I've never seen anything like this. They're doing anything they can to deny Bernie, but we ain't going to let him. I told you, we got to overwin in order to win. And I meant it. So let's do it. Let's overwin in order to win. Because now he's the overwhelming favorite. And we're going to do it. Okay, next. Where are we going? So this is um, beautiful. It's beautiful. It's hilarious. Uh, There are many positive descriptors I could use for this. Republicans are urging Republican primary voters to vote for Bernie in the South Carolina primary. The plan, which was reportedly orchestrated by several prominent Republican Party leaders in South Carolina, revolves around GOP leadership's belief that Senator Bernie Sanders poses the least amount of challenge to President Trump. So they have an open primary, and they're urging Republicans to vote for Bernie. This is exactly like the Pied Piper strategy that the colossal idiots near Tandon and all the corporate Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, they all hopped on board with. So what did they do? They went out there and they were like, oh, 
the one that we're really afraid of is Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is really serious. Voters should take him seriously. He's probably going to win, and that's going to be a tough race. <laughs> so in other words, they were like, let's uplift Trump, because there's no way we lose to him. So they helped uplift Trump, and then they lost to him. And you know what's crazy? Hillary probably would have beaten Ted Cruz. So think about that, bro. Think about that. Think about that. They're so stupid. They thought this was a master plan. And they hurt themselves. They lost. This is exactly what the Republicans are doing, and I'm here for it. I love it. They're like, oh, I got an idea. We'll destroy. Come on, man. Trump versus Bernie? Trump will destroy them. We wouldn't want to have a tough race like against Joseph Biden. So their stupidity is really hurting them here. Because they're going to fuck around and find out, dog. They're going to be like, oh, oh, he's the strongest. Oh, oh. By the way, they're significantly dumber than Trump. Because Trump has admitted privately, not publicly, privately, he talks about how it's not going to be easy to beat Bernie. And specifically, he thinks the issue of debt relief is one where he doesn't have, like, a solid counter to Bernie. Because that's super popular, and it's going to work. (laughs) So... Trump is a lot smarter politically. He's a lot more savvy politically than these idiots. These idiots think, we're going to help you, Don. We're going to vote for Bernie and get him into the general so you could easily win. (laughs) All right, man. Listen, hey, 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 I shouldn't even be doing this segment. I should should be agreeing with them and saying, yeah, good plan. You're right. This is what's going to happen. Because, by all means, help Bernie. I'm happy that you help Bernie. I'm very happy. I'm super happy about that. Absolutely. So thank you for the Republicans doing the Republican outreach to get them to vote for Bernie. We'll take the votes. And it's not going to go how you want it to go. Okay, now let's talk more about Biden. It is time for Biden to go, and he might do exactly that. Joe Biden is in giant, giant trouble. So CNBC reports the following. Joe Biden's campaign tries to reassure donors he will win Nevada and South Carolina after Iowa chaos. Joe Biden's, uh, Joe Biden's campaign tried to reassure donors that the former vice president is on track to win the Nevada caucus and South Carolina primary a day after the Iowa caucus was derailed by vote counting glitches. On a conference call with some of Biden's top donors hours after the Iowa contest, campaign officials said they were confident they can win the two votes at the end. They could win the two votes at the end of the month. 
he's in free fall. He's absolutely in free fall. The betting markets had his chances implode. Apparently, um, in a completely panicked move, a super PAC dropped $500,000 worth of ads in New Hampshire the day after Iowa because they realized, oh, if he doesn't win New Hampshire, it's over for him. And Bernie's like five to ten points up in New Hampshire. So they're pressing the panic button. They're pressing the panic button. Now, I also just got this news about 15, 20 minutes ago. And this is a a red flag sign if I've ever seen one. Five days from the New Hampshire primary and one day from a high-stakes debate, Joe Biden has no events in the state, and a charter plane last night flew from Manchester, New Hampshire, to Wilmington, Delaware. He's not even campaigning in New Hampshire today. He might be dropping out very, very soon. He got fourth place in Iowa. He's, he's basically tied with Klobuchar. So when you, when even your donors are like, whoa, 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 now I'm, get, I'm not getting any return on investment here because they thought he was the favorite, he's the shoe-in, this and that. Now they realize they're, they're lighting their money on fire. Then it's all over because Joe Biden's campaign is fueled by that big money because he doesn't have grassroots enthusiasm. He's got all D.C. insiders around him or morons. And he's been running the weakest campaign ever, all propped up by big money. So he might be dropping out very, very soon. And if he gets crushed in New Hampshire, which he very well might, bye-bye Biden. Bye-bye Biden. You always know that the time's going to be up soon when the donors panic for a guy like Biden. Because he can't afford to not have that support. He just can't. Bernie just raised $25 million in January through small-dollar donations. Biden, I'm sure, ain't touching that. Nowhere near it. And um, I got bad news for him. South Carolina is theoretically a place where he's the strongest because he's leading there in the polls. But... If Bernie wins Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, well, Joe is totally done. And almost everybody in that scenario is totally done. Now, by the way, at the same time that this is happening, Elizabeth Warren has canceled a massive ad buy that they did in um, Nevada. So, and South Carolina, I believe. So, you know what that means for her as well? Her team recognizes, oh, if we don't show up in New Hampshire, then it's a wrap for us, too. Now, this is where people go, okay, but then Pete Buttigieg is like our big opponent right now, right? I mean, bro, the polls show that after New Hampshire, he falls off a cliff. He's basically got no ground game in California, none, 
none, no ground game in California, and he still has 2% or less black support. And you're not going to win a Democratic primary with 2% or less black support. It's not happening. So when he hits South Carolina, when he hits California, he, I think he's banking on a big you know, springboard effect from the first two primaries, but I don't even, for him, I don't think that's enough. That's not enough. So the race is shaping up in a very interesting way, and there are some questionable signs here moving forward, and uh, it's all happening very fast if I don't say so myself. Okay. The New York Times actually did some uh, decent reporting on Mike Bloomberg, believe it or not, in an article called, Michael Bloomberg has used his fortune to help Republicans too. Now, I just want to give you one fact from this so you can see, um, you can see just the kind of guy he is. Mike Bloomberg spent $12 million to reelect a Senate Republican, to me specifically. And this was in 2016. Toomey beat the Democrat, McGinty, by 1.5 points. If McGinty had won, Democrats would have controlled the Senate, and we could have blocked Kavanaugh from the Supreme Court. Stop and think about that. Because this guy spent $12 million to get a Republican elected in 2016. Because of that, we have Republican Supreme Court appointments. We could have blocked Kavanaugh if it wasn't for him. You have Brett, Ka- Brett Kavanaugh should write a thank you letter to Michael Bloomberg, forever changing the makeup of that court in a, in a right-wing reactionary direction. Thank this guy for it. And he wants to become the Democratic nominee in 2020. Guys. I'm going to keep repeating his record because mainstream media won't do it. They refuse to talk about what this guy has actually done and what he believes. Most important point, Michael Bloomberg blocked a minimum wage increase as New York City mayor. Strike one, you're out. I'm done with you. You blocked a minimum wage increase as New York City mayor and you want people on the left to support you? One of our main issues is fight for 15 and a living wage. You can't, no, 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 that's one, we're, that's a one where we're not budging. We're inflexible on that one. Did you know House Democrats actually passed a minimum wage increase bill? Obviously it died in the Senate, but they, even the corporate Democrats in the House are like, yeah, sure, increase the minimum wage. You, Michael Bloomberg, you're not even for that? Come on, man. Come on. Now recently he's, oh yeah, no, I'm totally for it. But none of the article said he blocked the minimum wage increase as New York City mayor. This was recent, too. This wasn't that long ago. He called legal marijuana, quote, stupid. We got Bernie Sanders who says, I will legalize it in all 50 states on day one. And we have Michael Bloomberg who calls it, quote, stupid to legalize marijuana. He mocked free health care and free education, and he said it's a pony. He called it, oh, it's like a pony, giving everybody a pony. 
He banned uh, sugary big drinks. That's just authoritarian nonsense. This is who this guy is, man. Don't let him fool you. He's trying to buy a country. That's what he's trying to do. And again, this is a case study in just how far money alone can take you because his ideology does not mesh with the Democratic base at all. And he doesn't have a personality. So there's all money. He's just trying to buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. In a populist, anti-establishment era, don't let him do it. We're on you, man. We're on you, Michael Bloomberg. And now everybody's going to know this fact I just laid out there. Share this video far and wide so everybody knows that Michael Bloomberg gave $12 million to a Republican in 2016. And because of that, we have Kavanaugh. Thank Michael Bloomberg for Kavanaugh. Okay. Next. HLN News, which has CNN as its parent company, uh, did a segment here that they think is a feel-good segment, and you're about to see that it isn't. Everybody at HLN be so disconnected from reality that nobody paused to say, hold on, what are we doing here? This is a dystopian nightmare. This story isn't a feel-good story. A producer didn't say that? Any of the producers, none of them said that? Nobody on the staff said that? The host didn't say that? Nobody in the area was like, you know, I don't know about all this, man. This is a little, this is dark. This is dark. Nobody said it. We're talking about... A kid had to do something extra, something special to pay off school lunch debt. Why is school lunch debt a thing? If the media was doing their job, if they didn't suck, they would have examples of stuff that we've spent money on that was totally useless. Remember the F-35-2? We spent trillions of dollars on it, and for a while it didn't even fly. Why not bring that up? Why not bring up the extra $100 billion that we spent uh, on the military? Just the increase in one year in military spending. That's over $100 billion. How many school lunches could we have gotten for that? How long would that have bought school lunches for every kid in the country? 
I mean, this is, this is unconscionable. This is the point that we're at where we're just like totally callous to the idea that, you know, kids should have free lunch. Like that doesn't even occur to them that it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't give you butterflies. It doesn't make you smile to hear about a story where a kid had to do something extra to pay off school lunch debt. Obviously school lunch debt shouldn't exist in the first place. And it's a terrible system. I mean, this is like when they, they do the, the stories about like, you know, this person walked to work 15 miles to afford the Christmas presents. And they do it as like, it's like disaster porn. It's like the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps, personal responsibility porn. Like maybe the heart of that story of the person walking 15 miles to work just to afford Christmas presents, maybe the story there is um, we have a terrible public transportation system and we need to improve it. Or wages are so low and you should have already been able to afford Christmas presents uh, because they should have been paid more. But they don't make those connections. And you wonder why people like watching YouTube to get their news and information because that what you just watched there is like insane. Who in their right mind could watch that and be like, oh, that's awesome. What? Jesus, man. Wow. Wow. Expect a lot more of this. They've been doing it for years and they're going to keep doing it and they will never catch on to the basic reality about this because they're totally disconnected. y'all let's play a noam chomsky clip how you like them apples how do you like them apples noam chomsky went on uh TYT's The Conversation, Anna Kasparian uh, spoke to him, and he laid out his theory of change here, and I want to play it for you because I think there's a lot of wisdom in it. The liberal media attacks on Sanders are already shocking. It was one of the Washington Post just a couple days ago that amazed me. Once the Republicans get started, it will be even worse. Now, it might be with enough possible. There's another part of that interview which you didn't play, which said that uh, the great advantage that Bernie Sanders has mm-hmm. is that he does have uh, a popular base, which he's inspired, which is active, which is mobilized. And this goes back to your point a minute ago about uh, the great achievements of the struggles of the labor movement. Mm-hmm. They were indeed significant. There wouldn't have been a new deal if it hadn't been for CIO organizing, uh, sit-down strikes, and so on. But that's one part of the story. The other part of the story was that there was a moderately sympathetic administration. Uh, Labor historian uh, Eric Loomis has has written a lot about, very interestingly, about strikes and labor activism and their achievement. It points out that 
intellectuals telling you, oh yeah, it's all about outside-inside game. What have we been saying on this show? This is, that's, that's the only way to get change. So you have some people, not to throw her under the bus, but Elizabeth Warren is a good example of this. Her theory of change is technocratic, wonky, and from inside only. And then you have other people, um, you know, who are to some, one extent or another, outside of electoral politics or, or distant from electoral politics, um, like the Green Party, for example, or, or various third-party movements or you know, activists. And some of them think, not all of them, but some of them think, well, listen, we get the way you get change is just from the outside. You never get it from the inside because it's corrupt. It's never not going to be corrupt. And so you almost seed the ground of electoral politics. Um, and revolutionaries believe that too. You know, you win through violence and overthrowing, and you don't win from within the system. You don't reform. You do a total revolution. Um, but what Noam Chomsky is voicing there is the same position that I've talked about on this show, which is you have to have an outside-inside game. Namely, you need your allies to be in the White House and in the Senate and in the House of Representatives, uh, people who are sympathetic to what you're doing. And then you also have massive social mobilization to force them to do the right thing. And, you know, we have precedent for this, the union movement, the civil rights movement, women's suffrage. Like, there are examples of this exact philosophy, this exact approach working. And imagine for a moment we have a general strike. We march on Washington as Bernie Sanders is president, and he has a Democratic majority in the Senate and the House. And we basically say, we're not going anywhere until you meet our demands, and here are our demands. Medicare for all, free college, living wage, end the wars, Green New Deal, legalize marijuana, but we don't even need to do that one because he'll legalize it on day one anyway. He said he will. Do it through executive order. But we'll have a list of demands. We all, you know, march on Washington. And then what you have is this amalgamation, which is the perfect storm, which brings you change. I mean, that is, that's what it is. You'll have different industries, different unions, you know, women's groups. Uh, whatever, uh, CARE, the, the uh, Muslim rights group, you, all different groups come together uh, and we put pressure. And that's how we win. And that's what he's saying can happen. Guys, listen, it feels like it's impossible right now because we haven't done it. But in FDR's day, they did it. <laughs> they did it. So we didn't need to do that again with uh, our own set of goals. So... You know, that should make you happy hearing that because it's not hopeless, man. It's not. It's really not. We can win. And we're closer now than we've been in a very, very long time. 
Okay. I will do one more story for you. One more story, one more story, one more story. Barbara Corcoran is uh, a businesswoman, and she explained why Donald Trump is, as she says, and you're about to see, quote, the best salesman I've ever met. That's what she says. Now, I play this to you for a very specific reason. We're going to link it back into politics, but uh, this is fascinating. Listen to what she has to say. Switching gears for a moment, you knew Donald Trump way back in his New York real estate days. What a charmer. And, you know, despite, you know, whatever you say about him, I mean, you say he's a great salesman. What, what is his sales technique? Why is he so great? He is a phenomenal salesman. He's not a great salesman. He's probably the best salesman I've ever been in the company of. And I spent a lot of time with Donald because he's five years older than me, I think four years, and he was raising his company right at parallel with me raising mine. And so I did a lot of work with Donald. And I can tell you, he is the best salesman I've ever met in my life. I watched him walk into a situation, for example, selling the Plaza Hotel to the Chinese out of Hong Kong. Hong Kong, it was in Taiwan. Group of, of Asians, wealthiest families in Hong Kong. And they were there because they were interested in the Plaza Hotel. And I was a broker, and my brokers were all at the table. We were, like, really hungry to make this deal. And I watched him totally not pitch the Plaza Hotel, bury it, and talk about the land masses on the Hudson River and the buildings that would be there. They were not the least bit interested. They just wanted to buy the Plaza Hotel. Like, a customer, I want to buy it, and Donald was near bankruptcy. He really needed the money to bail out. And I watched him. I thought he was so off. He wasn't. They bought the land and built all those towers on the West River, as we know it today. You know, all those Trump towers along the river. That was the deal. How did he do that? I'll tell you what his masterful mind does. He is a genius at picking out the vulnerability of someone's personality. He can smell it, sense it, and trust it. Okay? So, for example, if you were to walk into a business meeting with Donald and you were saying whatever you're saying, I've seen it time and time again. He could see what your weakness is and not physically reach over and put his finger on it, but he just could see what your weakness is and play into it. Not the nicest thing in the world, but it's a certain gift I've never seen anyone else. And that's exactly what he did in the election. I think he put his finger on what the weakness was, the vulnerability of people, and he knows how to touch it. Just so. And people go along for the ride. He is a phenomenal salesman, I have to say. Here's why I'm showing you this. I have said in the past that 
the tough part for Bernie is the primary. If he gets the general election, it's over. He's going to destroy Trump. I'm now changing that. I'm now changing that. There will be a race if it's Bernie versus Trump. It's not a layup for Bernie. And I say that because Trump has shown me recently that he's, he's still got it. Now, what I mean by that is in 2016, he ran super populist. And then he started governing as an establishment guy, regular establishment politician. Now that the election's coming back around, he's going populist again. I didn't know if he had that in him. I didn't know if he had that in him. Now I know he has it in him. One of the reasons why is, what did he do? What did he run during the Super Bowl? An ad that brags about how he got Alice Johnson out of prison. That's, that's a left-wing ad. He's bragging about freeing a nonviolent drug offender. That's a left-wing ad in no uncertain terms. So what does that show me? That shows me he's got tricks up his sleeve, man. He's not conventional. He's not going to be like Mitt Romney. He's not going to be like John McCain. He's not going to go out there and do the Republican you know, doctrine, even the things that are unpopular. He throws out the unpopular things and focuses on the popular things. So what you learn in that clip is he's going to try to find Bernie weaknesses and exploit it. The question is, will he find them? Now, if he does what he's shown some uh, inclination towards doing, which is uh, Venezuela, 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 socialism, 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 communism, 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 then he loses. But is it possible for him to find the handful of weaknesses that Bernie has and exploit those? Yes, it is. Yeah, and Bernie needs to be prepared to deal with the stuff that Trump would find as a weakness. He needs to be prepared. Uh, because he's going to make it a lot tougher than any of us thought. And I already have, I'm not going to say them out loud now, but there are a few issues where I, I, I think Bernie needs to sharpen up where to make it so that Trump can't exploit those weaknesses. I think there's a chance that Trump might try to, almost try to bait Bernie into going like uber woke, which would be a disaster if he did that. Um, there's a few issues where Trump, can kind of like outflank Bernie, some on the left and then others, he could take, make the right wing position seem reasonable and attack Bernie and make it look like he's crazy and have Bernie like walk into a trap. So there's a lot of stuff to consider, but it ain't going to be a cakewalk. And moving forward, we don't underestimate anybody or anything. We fight all the way, regardless of who we're running against. Okay. I want to go back, um, actually, before we wrap up the show, I just want to go back and do talk more about the Tom Perez thing because it is, I'm looking at the reaction on social media now. And this is insane. This is absolutely insane. So as I'm here doing the show live, we have the breaking news that DNC head Tom Perez comes out and says the following. Enough is enough. In light of the problems that have emerged in the implementation of the delegate selection plan and in order to assure public confidence in the results, I'm calling on the Iowa Democratic Party to immediately begin a recanvass. A recanvass is a review of the worksheets from each caucus site to ensure accuracy. The IDP will continue to report results. Think about everything that's happened in this election, man. And then tell me if you think it's just incompetence. 
You have Mayor Pete's campaign helped fund the caucus app. Over 40 grand they gave. Former Clinton people were involved with the app. It crashes immediately. They didn't stress test it. They needed double login information. It was a mess beyond all imagination. Mayor Pete goes out there and declares victory early. The media runs with him for three days. They release a slow drip of information that shows Pete up, even though Bernie's winning the popular vote. Bernie's internal numbers have him winning, quote, comfortably by about five points. And now, and now, as soon as we have 97% reported, and there's a lot of satellites remaining. The satellites are overwhelmingly pro-Bernie because they organized them to be so, and the numbers are reflecting that as they come in. As soon as the remaining satellites are about to come in and overwhelmingly likely declare Bernie the victor, the DNC head goes out there and says, enough, we need to recount for accuracy. What? Finish the first count and then, then recount it. I agree. You should re-canvas, recount, whatever the hell you want to call it. And I, I would have Bernie people there every step of the way. And again, I told you before, I'll tell you again, I trust their data way more than I trust the corrupt Democratic Party and Iowa Democratic Party, the DNC and the Iowa Democratic Party. Are you insane? Of course. Bernie, Bernie and his campaign never lied to me. They never lied to me. The DNC rigged the last election. They were acting as an arm of the Hillary Clinton campaign. Who should you trust? But you want to recount? You want to recanvas? Fine, fine. But finish this count first. Why is it that, like, as soon as they're about to announce Bernie wins, now, he didn't wait until the end of that. He said, before, I'd say, sorry, we got to re-canvas again. You got to do it. So what are you going to do? You want to give Pete another three or four days of, of you know, coverage as the, the winner, even though he's not? Is that what you want to do? Because that looks like it's what you're doing. And what happened? In New Hampshire, Pete's poll shot up eight percentage points because he was taking his victory lap. We already know that in Black Hawk County, they took Bernie votes and they gave them to Deval Patrick and Tom Steyer. That doesn't just happen. And they never even offered an explanation as to how that happened. That's on purpose. It's on purpose. So you could probably, in most of the counties, that probably happened, where they took Bernie's support and gave it elsewhere. So what do I think happened? I think Bernie's internals are exactly right, and I think he won by about five points. And he won with a solid delegate lead to. That's what I think. And I think they're doing everything in their power to try to fudge it. That's what I think. And I think even with them fudging it, eventually we're going to hear that Bernie won. But they're taking away his victory lap. They're taking away his momentum, and they're doing it on purpose. Don't ever let them tell you otherwise. All right. All right, one more thing. Tom Perez, resign. Resign today. You should have resigned yesterday. You should have resigned the day before that. Resign right now. You know you should. All right, guys, we're done. I love you. Uh, I'll talk to all you guys soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Listen, fear not. Bernie won. And if they don't reflect that reality, then we're going to sue. We're going to sue. He definitely won. 
I believe his internal numbers, and eventually the truth will prevail. prevail. But move forward aggressively. Act like we're 10 points down. Let's win this thing. Don't let them get you down. Don't let them gaslight you. All right, I'm out, guys. Love you. Peace.